It's Good Canada, I'm Peyton Smith, and this is The Stew. With Canada's food system continuing to grow and innovate, understanding what information is credible, who to trust, and how to feed ourselves and our families can be incredibly confusing. That's why I'm here, to share relevant information on food topics you care about most with the help of experts. Dr. Stephanie Colombo is an assistant professor at Dalhousie University and Canada Research Chair in Aquaculture Nutrition. She's published over 40 scientific papers and two book chapters. She's been invited as a keynote speaker at several national and international conferences. And Dr. Colombo has served as the president of the Aquaculture Association of Canada and is currently the science advisor for the Aquaculture Association of Nova Scotia. Welcome. If you could please introduce yourself, where you're talking to us from, and share your pronouns. I'm Stephanie Colombo. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm talking to you from Dalhousie University on the Truro campus, Truro, Nova Scotia. Amazing. Thanks, Stephanie. So we're so glad that you could be on today, and we're here to talk about aquaculture and specifically salmon aquaculture in Canada. Now, even the word aquaculture is complex. There's so many labels on grocery stores from wild caught to farm raised, and it's really quite confusing. And I feel like Canadians don't really know which package to pick up, and I sure don't. So I guess that's why we have you, the expert, on today. Mm -hmm. To dive in, um, can we start with the basics? What is aquaculture? How much of the fish in the grocery store is produced through aquaculture production? Yeah, I mean, although there's some complexities at the grocery store, aquaculture as a concept is really simple. It's just the farming of aquatic plants and animals that live in the water. And that includes like sea plants, like seaweeds, uh, includes shellfish like shrimp and bivalves like mussels and oysters and finfish like salmon and tilapia. And actually about half of... um, the seafood at the grocery store is produced from aquaculture. So the Food and Agricultural Organization, which is part of the United Nations, they come out with a report every two years. And so Mm -hmm. their latest report a few months ago just estimated that actually 49.2% of our seafood comes from aquaculture. And by 2030, in just a few years from now, over 60% of our seafood is going to come from aquaculture. And that's just because our demand for seafood is growing, but our wild fisheries, many of them are considered exploited. So we need to grow our own seafood. That's really interesting. Yeah, 2030 is not that far away for 60% of our food or our fish coming from aquaculture. Um, I'm curious, does it have to be labeled aquaculture or wild caught or whatever it is? Does it have to be labeled that on the grocery store shelves? There's not a regulation for that. So, for example, when you go to the seafood counter where everything is nicely laid out on ice, um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to say wild caught or farm raised. Um, Some of the labels that do need to be included are, for example, organic. And there is organic aquaculture. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there If you are at the seafood counter, uh, it does not necessarily have to be labeled as such. Now, when you buy things in packages that are frozen, for example, there are other labels that would include, you know, wild or farmed. And there's also environmental certifications like MSC certified and best aquaculture practices. And I recognize that that can be um, confusing for some consumers, but it's actually pretty simple when you think about 
um, that all seafood is providing some some important nutritional value to consumers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important part. And we need to also recognize that our wild supply of seafood is not going to be enough to serve the nutritional needs of our planet going forward. Mm-hmm. So what does aquaculture look like in Canada compared to the rest of the world? So when you think about it, um, in Canada, we have different species that are natural to our environment, and we have different systems of growing them here. So in Canada, our most produced um, farmed fish is salmon, and okay. but we also grow other, and that's Atlantic salmon. Um, we also grow other salmonids within the same family, like trout and Arctic char. Um, we also grow other invertebrates like mussels and oysters. We even grow sea- seaweeds. So we grow fish in the ocean in what we call net pens or cages in the ocean uh, and coastal areas. We also grow them in lakes and we also grow them in land on tanks. And so compared to other parts of the world, um, you know, we don't tend to, tend to grow uh, fish in ponds like tilapia and carp. So that's not something we necessarily do in Canada because of the temperature and risk of freezing mm-hmm. in ponds. <laughs> so it depends on on the environment of what you know species are being grown and then the systems that are available to you in that country. Do we produce like what percentage of aquaculture? do we produce in Canada compared to the rest of the world? That's a good question. It it depends on the species. So let's just use salmon, for example, which Mm -hmm. is our most produced uh, farmed fish species. Um, The top producer in the world is Norway, uh, followed by by Chile and the UK, so mostly Scotland, and then Canada. So Canada is the fourth top producer. But when you think about other farmed species like aquaculture in the world, um, Asia has the biggest production of farmed fish and they're not growing salmon. They're growing other species like carp, which is the top produced fish species in the entire world. Um, So it just it depends on the species and the, the amount of production. So in Canada, we're the top four producer of salmon in the world. We're up there. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've mentioned it, wild caught, aquaculture, words like that. We've mentioned it several times already um, in this episode. The big question, should we be seeking out a certain one? Is one healthier? Is wild caught healthier than aquaculture salmon? What should we be looking at for the grocery store? I mean, I love this question and <laughs> just for face value, my first answer would be no, we shouldn't necessarily be buying wild fish exclusively. Um, We need to recognize that our wild fisheries are limited. And so we definitely can't depend on wild fish as our sole source of seafood. We've recognized this for, for years. And so over the years, people have told me, you know, acquaintances at parties that, they won't eat farmed fish, which always surprises me. And I'm like, why? Where did that information come from? You know, Mm -hmm. and they would say that farmed fish aren't as good for you as wild fish or that farmed fish have contaminants. And I have no idea where they would get this information from. And I think that's some misinformation that's spread 
you know, been talked about for for years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that inspired me to do a study, which we published back in 2020, um, that compared the nutritional value and contaminant content in wild salmon compared to farmed salmon. And we looked at salmon that would be available to Canadians, like what I could buy in the store. So we included farmed Atlantic salmon, farmed Chinook salmon, wild Chinook, wild pink, uh, wild sockeye. And we looked at all of the nutritional information, like the total fat, protein, essential fatty acids, essential amino acids. And we also looked at mercury as an example of a contaminant. And so what we found is that it's not about whether the fish is wild or farmed. It's actually about the species. Because we're looking at different species of salmon. So, for example, um, wild sockeye, wild chinook, and farmed Atlantic, whether it was organic or regular farmed Atlantic, um, were the most nutritious per serving. And compare that to Pacific pink salmon, which is wild caught, it actually had the lowest nutritional content per serving. Hmm. Um, And so... Wild sockeye and wild chinook were actually the most nutrient-dense and had the highest omega-3 content, but they're also the most expensive and not as wild, widely available. So here right. in Truro, I had to order them in, online. I couldn't even buy them in the store. Mm. So it has to do with availability. Um, they're also very expensive and also had a higher mercury content. Now, I will say that the mercury content was low for all of the species in the study. So there's really nothing to worry about at all compared okay. to the Health Canada's recommendations. Um, so keep that in mind. But I think we have to consider that, you know, there's limits to sustainable catch. And considering that I couldn't even buy wild sockeye in the store, there's, you know, an accessibility issue. You know, not every Canadian can be having wild sockeye on their plate every night for dinner. So Farmed Atlantic really was, I would consider, a best option for people that often include salmon in their meals based on the nutritional value, its availability, the lowest mercury content, and also the lowest cost. So it really isn't about whether it's wild or farmed, it's about the species, which made the biggest difference um, in the nutritional content. And so there's pluses and minuses for both. Absolutely. It's super interesting, especially with cost inflation and the food, the way it costs right now. Um, You know, accessibility, yes, is number one, but the cost of eating nutritious food is huge right now. So perhaps maybe that farmed Atlantic is the best option if you're especially looking for a more economical choice. Totally agree. Yeah. And you mentioned mercury. Can we like rule out all concerns because our Canadian food system is fantastic and Health Canada keeps them on track and we don't need to worry about it? Or is that too much of a blanketed statement? No, I I think that anything that is available to us, you know, thanks to the great work of the CFIA, um, yeah. we have a we have healthy and safe, very safe options available to us. Um, and for all of the salmon in that study was very low. Now, some species we know uh, of wild fish do have higher contaminant loads than others. And okay. these fish tend to be at the top of the food chain, like swordfish and tuna. Mm. Okay. And and those aren't farmed. Um, those are wild caught. And we know that some of the contaminants get stored in the fat of mm of fish and they the larger fish eat smaller fish which have some of the contaminants and yep. so on and so on so it gets what's called bioaccumulated 
And so one of the advantages to farmed fish is that the diet is um, formulated and very much controlled in terms of what ingredients are going in. And so that extremely lowers the contaminant levels that are in the diet. And comparatively, farmed fish have, have been shown to have much lower contaminant levels, not just mercury, but other things too. Hmm. Well, I mean, that brings me to my next question. What do the salmon actually eat? Because that's your specialty, correct? Salmon? Yes, yes. Um, and so, yeah, they are normally fed a formulated diet in the form of a pellet, sort of like the pelleted food that we feed our pets. Okay. They're, yeah, the diets are formulated exactly to meet their nutritional requirements and also to cater to different needs during their entire life. So they have a different diet with different requirements after they hatch compared to when they're getting older and ready to reproduce. So there's different diets for different systems, like feeding them in different systems, different species and different life stages. And those ingredients can also vary. So aquafeeds have changed a lot over the years. So that there's sort of like, I say there's three kind of um, types of feed that have evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to the 1990s and before that, a lot of the diet was based on fish meal and fish oil. And that, that was harvested from wild caught fish like anchovies and sardines. And then they're ground up and that is made as an ingredient to make into the pellets. Mm-hmm. And so the industry recognized you know, that that was not really a sustainable way to feed farmed fish, both from an environmental perspective, but also economically, because those ingredients are getting more and more expensive as the availability decreases. Right. So that was kind of version 1.0. Then around the 2000s, maybe like 10, 20 years later, a lot of research was going into trying to replace fish meal and fish oil with other sources of protein and fat. And that includes things like soybean meal and soybean oil and canola oil and things like that, more plant-based diets. Hmm. Um, But we now we kind of recognize that we could be actually growing those plants for us to eat. (laughs) And in a time where we're thinking about Um, food security and nutritional security, we really want to use our resources in the best, most efficient way possible. Mm -hmm. And some species of fish, like salmon, they don't normally eat plants in their diet. They're carnivores. So for all those reasons, there's been kind of a shift in -hmm. the past few years, going from this version 2.0 to something new. And that would be taking advantage of new nutritional sources like insect meals, which in the wild, salmon normally eat insects in their their life sometimes anyways. Um, And also microalgae. Microalgae are at the bottom of the food chain. They're uh, basically like aquatic uh, single-celled plants in the Mm -hmm. ocean. And we can grow those on land and use them as an ingredient in, in salmon feeds. And so these resources are not taking away from our human nutritional needs mm-hmm. or our human foods. And they're also like nutritionally better fits for the salmon anyway. And so some of these are produced in what's called the circular 
food bioeconomy. I noticed in a previous um, a previous podcast with uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Evan Brazer that he mentioned this term, and this is also something that's being used in aquaculture feeds as well. This idea that you can use, you know, what's waste from another industry into something useful for another industry. And we don't use yeah. the term waste anymore. It's called byproducts because nothing's <laughs> ever waste. Yeah. So, for example, for black soldier flies, you know, you have some um, byproduct from grocery stores like, you know, leftover lettuce and mm-hmm. from vegetable processing plants like broccoli. We don't eat all of that stuff. Right. But it's considered food waste. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who can use those nutrients are insects. and mm-hmm then you're using something that would have been waste, but then you're producing something really beneficial out of it. And that's sort of the concept of, you know, aquaculture in the circular bioeconomy. And then those insects are eaten by the salmon and the food now chain we have continues. More food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very interesting. So it's a win-win. We Our food sources aren't depleted. We used up waste stuff. And then the salmon is also happier because it gets to eat more of a carn- carnivorous diet. That's right. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. So the science girl in me has to ask, what does their feed conversion look like? And just for our listeners, feed conversion is simply the ratio of how much food the animal is fed to how much weight the animal gains. Yeah. And that's the feed conversion ratio is a really important metric um, because it it considers how much resources we're using to make the Mm -hmm. feed compared to how much food we're going to get out of it, like how much salmon we're going to actually get. So that's a really important measurement to consider for the environmental impact of our food production and how sustainable that food is. Um, So just to give you a few examples, salmon, that ratio is about one to one. So one part food is required to make one part or one pound of salmon. Impressive. Chicken is about two to one and beef Mm -hmm. is about seven to one. So there's a lot more resources needed for other animals that we're growing for food. Mm -hmm. Um, And shellfish, like mussels and oysters, it's even less. It's almost nothing to one because you don't feed them a diet, meaning that they're using kind of the natural phytoplankton in the water that you're growing them in. So it's not as resource intensive and actually has the lowest environmental impact per pound of protein compared to any other animal foods. And other studies have calculated this. Um, And some of the reasons why salmon and, and shellfish have lower feed conversion ratios is because they don't need as much energy to live. So one reason is because fish are cold-blooded. They don't need as much energy to regulate their own body temperature. And fish and shellfish don't need to put as much energy into growing a strong skeleton. Fish live in a world without gravity. So because they don't require as much energy, the feed conversion is a lot lower. And that means we need to use less resources to make more food, which is more important now than ever. Absolutely. Okay. We've talked about what the salmon are eating. Let's jump back to us as Canadian consumers. How much fish should we be consuming? And is it a part of a healthy diet for us? I mean, yes. It okay. Seafood has been shown in many different studies that it's extremely healthy for us. So a diet with aquatic plants and animals is a really healthy one. Um, I'll Talk about a, a study that came out um, last year uh, okay. by an author called Golden, Chris Golden, and they compiled data on the nutritional content of about 4,000 different aquatic animal foods. Oh, that's a lot. And okay. 
Yeah, it was a very big study and an impactful one, too. Um, and that included fish, shellfish, and, and salmon even. Um, and it compared the uh, the nutrients of like omega-3s um, and vitamins and micronutrients like iron and stuff like that and compared it to uh, beef, lamb, goat, and chicken and pork. Mm-hmm. And the the aquatic foods came out on top for each of those nutrients. Hmm. Um, And one of the nutrients I will highlight are the omega-3 fatty acids. And two of them that we know have really um, important health benefits to us are called EPA and DHA. They're long chain omega-3s. And seafood is our main nutritional source of these. You can't get them in Hmm. any substantial quantities from any other plants or animals that we eat. It's just from seafood. And there's been a great deal of medical studies that have shown that DHA is linked to our brain development and neurological health, and EPA is linked with our cardiovascular health. Um, and so for really for this reason alone, I would think that, you know, seafood is our best way of getting these and setting us up for, you know, a healthy life. Um, and so much so that the World Health Organization actually recommends that we get between 200 and 500 milligrams of EPA and DHA every day. Okay. So that looks like about, um, depending on the fish that you're eating, but for salmon, that would be, you know, two meals of salmon a week. Got it. Very interesting. Well, I guess I know what I'm having for dinner tonight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's talk the environment. So how does salmon aquaculture specifically fit into our ocean health? I mean, we have to, first of all, consider that we need to sustainably use the ocean as a resource to grow our food. So we have to think about our health, but we need to make sure that we are considering the ocean health and that we're doing this that we're growing our food in a way that is going to have the least impact as possible. But we have to balance that with our need for nutrients, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, salmon aquaculture, like you asked, um, salmon are grown in two ways. You can grow them in the ocean in sort of net pens, and you can grow them on land in tanks. And so... That gives us a couple of different options of how we're able to grow our food. And I think we need both to be able to grow the amount of food that we need to feed Canadians and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, in aquaculture in general, uh, a study came out last year that com- compared the environmental performance. I'll tell you what I mean by that in a minute. Um of 23 different types of aquatic foods, aquatic plants and animals, which is you know, was most is most of our aquatic production. And so it looked at all these different environmental stressors like greenhouse gas emissions, um, nitrogen pollution, freshwater use, land use. And so farmed bivalves, farmed trout, farmed salmon, they were the most efficient uh, types of foods that we can grow, comparing the environmental performance of all different kinds of foods. Mm. And when you think about things like fresh water, you don't need to use fresh water to feed aquatic animals. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we have to, one of our really um, important and limiting resources is fresh water in the future. So it it performed 
aquatic foods or aquaculture foods performed very well compared to other types of agriculture in terms of the environmental impacts. And we so we need to consider, you know, or agriculture is a major source of environmental impacts, carbon emissions, but that's a reality for us. We need to produce food, so we need to have that balance, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're going to eat food and we know that aquatic foods and farmed aquatic foods have the best environmental performance, that's something we need to consider in our sustainable future is how we're going to get nutrients. And if we know that aquatic foods are most efficient at doing that, we need to harness that and we need to invest in that for as a main way of us getting our food and nutrients. Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. So fish aren't quite the most cute and cuddly little animal. And I don't want to like cuddle with them like I do my dog, but I do still think about their animal welfare. So how does their well-being look in an aquaculture environment compared to the wild? I mean, that's a great point. Some people don't really consider them as a pet or cute and cuddly, but yes. they are sentient animals. And there, there is, you know, debate in the literature, but I think the literature is more pointing toward the fact that, you know, fish do feel pain and we need to do, we definitely need to consider their welfare. Yeah. Um, and this is more and more so being recognized than ever before in the aquaculture space. So for example, uh, last year, there was a new publication uh, as part of the Canadian National uh, Farmed Practice Code, and they've previously had codes um, and welfare considerations for other livestock like, you know, um, swine and poultry and cattle, but never for fish. And so now the latest um, practices are for salmonids. So that's a huge consideration which never was before, about the welfare and code of practices for growing salmon in aquaculture. Um, and there's also some really neat stuff coming out in the uh, AI or artificial intelligence space to consider the welfare of fish and, and systems. So at okay. this point, the, the uh, artificial intelligence is able to recognize individuals oh, based, based very cool. on based on the freckles on their face. Mm, very interesting, okay. And so that is helpful because it allows a producer or a farmer to know how many fish are in their tank, what's their size, um, how much they're growing, where previously you might have to go into that tank of fish to do a sample weight, and that means handling the animal. Right. But now with AI, that that reduces the amount of times that you need to handle the animals at all, which is better for their welfare. Mm -hmm. It's also come to the point where, you know, certain algorithms or the AI can estimate when the fish are going to be hungry and when they need to be fed. Crazy, okay. fish aren't going to be able to tell us necessarily when they're hungry. There's some yeah. visual cues that we can use, but based on the AI of, you know, their, their movements, their biometrics, um, it's, it's helping improve, you know, when they need to be fed, when if any fish in the tank need extra attention, um, things like that. So it's better monitoring of their health and welfare. And so this is kind of where the industry is going is harnessing that AI technology. Very interesting. OK, so you mentioned like if a fish needs special attention, would they pull a certain fish out and give it more food if it's not doing as well in the tank? Like, how does that work? I think of, you know, 
a beef farm, let's say, and there's a runt of the litter kind of, um, for lack of a better term. And obviously you would cater to that small calf. Is that the same with fish? I never thought about it like that. It's different to make those. It's more difficult to make those comparisons between like animal, uh, terrestrial animal agriculture. But for example, if a fish isn't doing well, you can quarantine them. Yeah. That might mean removing that fish and putting them another in another space um, while they heal or something like that. Um, so, you know, that kind of thing is not exactly the same comparatively, but yeah. you can, you can, if you notice, notice that a fish isn't doing well, it can mean that you can remove that fish and quarantine them, or it can mean that that's a sign that there's something going on in your tank of fish that yeah. maybe would alert you to check on them more often or to have the vet come in and have a look, something like that. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, So for our listeners who are intrigued by our talk today, is there any additional resources or anywhere they can go for more information on aquaculture? Yeah, there's a growing amount of information that I'd love to recommend. Um, First thing, if you're in the Ottawa area, the Canada Agriculture and Food Museum has a brand new exhibition called Aquaculture Farming the Waters. And I had the opportunity to work with this group and kind of help design some of the parts of the exhibition. And it is very cool. It's very family friendly and it's a great introduction to what aquaculture really is. They're also going to be having a traveling exhibit coming this summer, so it may be coming to a town near you. Um, And there's also a couple of websites that I would love to recommend. Um, Lovesalmon.ca is a really great resource for introducing people to to salmon aquaculture in Canada. And then also the, uh, what I mentioned earlier, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations has a really cool um, visualization of the current state of fisheries and aquaculture. And it's a really uh, hands-on and kind of fun activity to do. Cool. And we can stick all those resources in the show notes, too, for listeners to uh, click on and kind of explore further on their own time. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Final question, something that we ask every guest on the stew. This can be related to our topic today, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. If you could have the ears of every Canadian, what do you wish that they knew about the Canadian food system? Wow, that's a big question. Um (laughs) I would I would say that aquaculture is a very important part of our Canadian food system and importantly part of our global food system. It's more important now than ever because we can't rely on our wild fisheries as a source of our seafood anymore. It's not our reality. So mm-hmm. we need to just make sure that our aquaculture is sustainable and it's a healthy source of our nutrition. And so I would just want people to have an open mind about aquaculture and consuming farmed fish. I know 80% of Canadians love eating salmon based on a survey we've done in the past, and that's great. And so I think most Canadians are on board with you know what important role that aquaculture has to play but i think there needs to be some more information that canadians should have an open mind to when you know that's presented to them so yeah aquaculture is going to be it is super important in our canadian food system and will be even more so in the future and that's what i want to say to canadians amazing Well, thank you so much for your time, Stephanie. Hopefully our listeners do have a better understanding of the basics of aquaculture and 
we've opened minds a little bit into aquaculture and really putting salmon or especially um, any type of seafood into your diet as a healthy source of nutrition. So um, thank you very much for your time and have a great day. Thanks, Peyton. That was a great conversation with Stephanie and I don't know about you, but one of the big things I learned was that it doesn't matter whether it's farmed or whether it comes from an aquaculture source, seafood is an important part of our diets and it really just depends on the accessibility and where you live as well as what you can afford, but we should really be including seafood in our weekly diets. For more, please subscribe to The Stew and get ready for the next episode next week.